0: Hey everybody, thanks again for joining me here on Take a Knee. I'm Pastor David, and I love having this opportunity to share with you today. So imagine watching a chess game between two of the greatest chess players of all time. I don't know a lot about chess, which is why, of course, <laughs> I don't like it very much. I'm far too impatient to watch such a game. I don't know about you, maybe you you enjoy playing it. The reason why, for me, is because it hurts my brain to have to think so many moves ahead. I know that it is how the game is played. You know, it's all about thinking ahead. One has to think about all the possible moves that can occur after each and every move. One has to put themselves in the head of of the opponent. Perhaps there is a patented attack that they're using, one that is this, you know, famous attack strategy then you have your own offensive strategy to consider. See, I know generally how the game is played, but again, it hurts my brain to try to use so many dendrites on a game when I need them just to figure out my credit card statement. This makes me think about God himself, this whole idea of playing chess, and of course his will and his providential plans for my life, for your life. We can be those who try to figure out why God does what he does, or we can just, you know, trust what he does and why he does it, because he's good. He is the master strategist. He knows beyond one billion moves, just what's going to take to accomplish his purposes. Ultimately, we will never be able to outthink God, to outplay him, or to outplan him in anything in life. Even the devil made the major mistake of trying to outplay God by killing his son. Of course, this is played this whole this whole thing played right into the Father's hands, as it says there in Colossians that God made a public spectacle of him, of Satan. And of course, C.S. Lewis's stories, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, so wonderfully illustrate with the killing of Aslan and the deep magic, if you've ever read that. So, here we are, God's creation, trying to look at the Creator, who has everything mapped out as far as the ultimate loving plan revealed in His time, and we question His will? God will always win, even when it appears that He loses. He may lose a piece on the board, but it always plays into His ultimate victory. Jesus died and was taken off the board. Or was he? No, he was brought back onto the board and made a king with the ultimate ability to move in any direction, like in checkers. I'm sorry, I'm mixing my game strategies up, but let's come back to the will of God. Paul, in Romans 9, comes to the final conclusion, which one might consider does not seem fair. What he says is the ultimate takedown in my mind. After he has shared the wonderful gospel in the first eight chapters of the book of Romans, he says, well, who are you to question God when you come to the end? Because Paul knows that at the end of his, 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 his teaching, there are going to be those who say, well, this seems a little too much like God was in control of everything. And then Paul just says, well, who are you? You are the clay. He is the potter. Does the clay look at the potter and say, why did you make me this way? I guess Paul pushes us into the corner of sovereignty by saying God is God. Checkmate. I guess it also comes back to you knowing or believing or what is your definition of what a God is. Who is God? Well, God tells us, and we only know who God is from reading the scripture. And God has told us who he is. He says, I am that I am. I'm the alpha and the beginning. I'm the beginning and the end. I know all things. I've been everywhere. I've always been there. I know what you're thinking. See, we will never be able to know what his strategy is. It is beyond our ability to figure out. Even the wisest of mankind, including his own people, who were given prophetic instructions, were not, were not able to see that Jesus was the Messiah. They missed that. How could this be? they were looking for his uh, arrival. They were yearning for it. Daniel had had gotten images. And so the whole idea of the stars, you know, lining up and in Bethlehem and all that was going to happen, who the Messiah was going to be, you know, the light that comes from Naphtali, they've seen a great light, you know, all of that. He fit the bill in every sense. Matter of fact, when we read in the Psalms, when we read in the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, we see pictures of Jesus that when we look in retrospect, we say, how could they have missed this? Except that their hearts were so darkened that they no longer could see that which was obviously sitting right there in front of them. That tells you how much darkness there was in them. And perhaps the Jewish leaders were looking for different moves. Maybe they were taken off guard. Well, certainly that was the case. Because we learned that God had a totally different strategy in what God was doing. It is our pride. It is our arrogance to think that God would do it anyway the way we would do it. In other words, to save mankind or to defeat our enemies or to bring bring about the end the way we would like to see it happen. I think that is the truth. So that when when God's will was playing out in front of them, they were very confused. And therefore, they made the conclusion. I'm talking about the Jews here. They made the conclusion that it could not be God who was using such a simple pawn of sorts to set up the strategy right there in front of them. So see again, we're going back to this chess analogy that they're looking and they're saying they're watching the board and of light and darkness. And they see God move this pawn. They're like, what's going on there? That's not the way we thought it was going to happen. That's that's not the way we would do it. The father sent his son as the Messiah, a God, fully man, fully God, who did not consider equality with God something to be considered or grasped or taken advantage of. In other words, he came as a simple servant. And that they could not understand. What does the scripture say? That he was the stumbling stone, clearly pride, and a misunderstanding of who God was to them was the key to their stumbling. Jesus, as it said, was the cornerstone, the stone of their stumbling. They were looking for someone else. And yet he came as a humble servant and absolutely took them down with his simple message of love, which exposed their hearts because they were no longer walking in the heart of the law. They were following the letter of the law. They had been so corrupted with Hellenism, the, the Greek influence, and how they had so distorted their word. Not even among those who were represented, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they were divided. And really, only the Pharisees really believed in the core, the heart, of what the gospel was all about. And of who Jesus was. See, truly mankind is still trying to outplay god that's the point of my message here today i hear rumors of the elite and of the extremely wealthy doing their best to try to create a new tower of babel whether they want to call it a new world order or the you know the great reset or all the different things that we're hearing out there which when it comes to all the things they're doing, this, this Tower of Babel for them is is what I've heard, is that they're trying to live longer, and they want to live longer than the average human being, and that they actually believe that immortality can be achieved. Well, it can be, but not in this world, and certainly not in the body that you have. I've heard that they're trying to defeat death. And of course, it's a grand strategy, but it's not going to succeed. Well, I guess it makes sense that Jesus said before his return that it would be like the days of Noah, not only in mankind's ignorance of their true condition, but of all the things they're trying to do to bypass God. See, God cannot be mocked, which is told us in in, uh, Galatians. God cannot be mocked, nor can God be fooled, nor outplayed. God wins. Every move that man makes, God has seen before. He is the ultimate strategist. And what makes it so seem unfair is that God not only knows every move, but he knows and can read the hearts and minds of men before they even make the move. (laughs) That's kind of crazy. Jesus was showing his omniscience and his prophetic ability. He would wake up in the morning and he'd spend time with the Father. And essentially, the way I kind of see it, is that the Father has revealed to him how the whole day is going to go, who he's going to meet, where he's going to meet him. And then, of course, he's, he's God, and he can read the hearts and minds of men, which he did all the time, which makes sense why he preached the way he did around the Pharisees, because he, 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 he could hear the echo in his heart and his mind what they were thinking. and In fact, you will find in Scripture that Jesus would respond to what they were thinking not what they said or muttered. And that's something. What makes it, again, seem so unfair is that God knows. Well, there it is. We cannot beat God. Jesus made this quite clear. The only reason why it looks like he lost was because the Father asked him to die, and he was obedient to the Father. The strategy was to allow him to be taken so that he could come back as the risen king having defeated death and would now rule and reign forever. He handed over his victory to the Father, who handed it back and said, "Jesus, you are worthy. You obeyed, and so now I will place things all things under your feet." And forever now Jesus Christ is the not only the way the truth and the life to get to heaven, he will rule in heaven and he will rule over the new heaven and the new earth. But that's not something that's going to happen. We all, we have the kingdom understanding is the it is the now and the not yet it is what jesus has done for us now but there is still a substantial portion of what was purchased on the cross not only for us but for the for all uh all creation and, and for the universe you know that's yet to be completely displayed it's coming it's coming and you can bet your hat on it it's coming See, it's best not to try to play chess with God. You're just not going to win. Don't wear yourself out trying to figure God out what his next move should be or is going to be for your life or anybody else's life. See, children, an analogy that Jesus himself used, children are trusting of their parents, aren't they? And Jesus said, you must come to me like a little child and our trust in the will of the parent, of the of the the good that is in store. See, a child in in a, you know a healthy situation is going to look at their parent, and there is no doubt that they have their ultimate good in mind. Because why? Because that is what they have been doing up to that moment. They've been feeding you. They've been feeding us. They've been keeping us warm, putting us in a comfortable bed, putting on wonderful warm clothes, keeping us from danger, holding us when we cry giving us medicine when we need it, all the care and the attention that we've received from our parents. See, Jesus is saying, look, this is the way you need to see your Heavenly Father, to to know that he only has good for you. So what I want to do is I want to kind of circle back here a little bit, because I think that when we we use this analogy of, of, of chess, that... If you are approaching God with that mentality that you're trying to figure out God, you're trying to you're trying to figure out your future. You're trying to make plans for your future. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, <clears throat> what I learned after walking with God as many years as I have is that to just trust him one step at a time. You you, you we kind of see down the road, we have hopes, we have dreams, perhaps even Prophetic vision for our life. Somebody spoke it over us, or you know, we had a dream, or or something just jumped out of the page and you know, and a calling, and you hold on to that. And and you and then from our perspective, we're expecting that to happen tomorrow. We're expecting it to happen within the next year, and yet God is saying, no, no, no. I'm just giving you glimpses so that will give you hope, and that will give you that you'll let you have something to hold on to, and that's His mercy. That's his goodness. And the Bible is full of those kind of promises. We don't have to have some, you know, uh, angel-producing vision in order to, uh, you know, have something to hang our hat on as far as the future. No, we don't need that. We really don't. Because the Bible has these a hope and a future, as Jeremiah said. That's what God has. And so the hope doesn't have to have a picture. A future might. A future might have to have a, a vision, a picture, an image, and sometimes he does provide that. But again, my point here today is that we just need to sit back, try not to, to figure God out. But if we look at Romans 9 from the perspective and from what, what the Paul is saying— And if what he is saying is true, is that God knows all things, sees all things, he's got it all planned out, and who are we to question God? We just need to be the clay that sits on the wheel and let him form us and prepare us to be the vessel that he will use and for whatever purposes they might be. Vessels unto honor, common vessels you know, a cup, a plate, a fork, you know, whatever it is, or maybe we're supposed to be a vase that is set in a, a prominent situation. You don't know. But, but the, in our hearts, we have a feeling, we have an unction. And so that is good because then we can say, okay, I'm preparing, I'm preparing, I'm preparing for the good work. I'm preparing for what God, today, I am not going to try to make it happen. I'm going to just be faithful to what God has placed before me now. Which may mean, you know what? Just like in Jesus's case, what did the Father say? Jesus didn't say, you know, look, I, Father, I'm, look, I was dwelling in heaven for eternity, and now you've come, and and I'm in this this body. I'm I'm now man who has all the limitations of the physical being. I have these these emotions. I have these pains. I have you know all of these anxieties of what what is common to man. And that's what scripture says, is he he suffered those very same things. And yet he trusted the father and said, okay, all right, well, this is, if this is the path you have for me, then I'm not going to consider, I'm not going to take advantage advantage of the fact that I'm God to come and to do something I shouldn't do, to turn the stones into bread or to strike down his enemies or to have a steely glare that would cause the soldiers to just drop dead. No, no. He knew that he was supposed to come as a simple servant and that he was supposed to die, that he was supposed to give his life for our lives. And, of course, that required humility. That required, you know, surrender to the will of God. Day after day, purpose after purpose, part after part. So, again, coming back to chess, what I'm saying is, you know, the reason why I don't like chess is because it hurts my brain, because I'm sitting there trying to figure out six, seven moves. Eight. If I do this, then they're gonna do this, and then I'm gonna do that, and that blah, 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 blah. if you play chess, God bless you, you love it. It probably is making you smarter, probably making you a genius. But for me, I have developed kind of a sense in my life. It's like, you know what? I'm like blue in the uh, in that in that jungle book who just says, you know, the basic necessities will come to you. He may be thinking like he's lazy, but I look at that and say, you know what? There's a lot of truth in that song. You know what? To just trust God and and, and God's purposes, along with my discipline, along with my focus in being faithful to what God has given me today. In other words, faithful to my marriage, faithful to my kids, faithful to the Lord, faithful to my calling, faithful to what I'm called and if I'm still breathing in and out and I'm faithful to his word, I'm faithful to do that, which is required of me today. Now, should we plan for the future? Am I saying we shouldn't do that at all? No. I'm saying there are simple things we can do. We should, is it wrong for us to have a 401k and IRA or put savings aside? Is it wrong for us to do? Absolutely not. Because we don't know what the future holds and it's good for us to plan ahead for, not only for our lives, but for our children's lives. All of that is wise. See, there's such a combination of wisdom and faith that are put together, but all of it is wrapped up. See, I may make preparations, I may do these things, but they're all surrendered to God. I don't hold on to a 401k with a white knuckled fist. I, I do, I invest, I do whatever I'm going to do for the future, all knowing that it, it came and it can go just as fast. As Paul said, I've known what it's like to, to have a lot, and I've also known what it's like to have nothing. And he says, I've come to just trust God in, in all circumstances. Not over, that's not always a great message to hear, especially for those who who like security. But bottom line is, we need to just trust, and we need to trust like a child, and we need to know, we just have that confidence that every day I wake up, that my daddy and my mama have got everything in control, that my heavenly father, he knows what is planned for me. He knows every hair on my head, and I can just snuggle into the purposes of God and not have to wear myself out wondering what it is that God is going to do next, but just to trust. Pastor David, are you saying that this life is just a game? No, but I guess it is to some. We think chess. God thinks 4D chess. Bottom line is that we're the ones who broke this relationship. We're the one who mess, messed it up, but God fixed it for us. Now it is simply trying to convince everyone that God has solved our sin problem. He's restored our relationship. But no, of course not. It's not a game. This is life or death. In fact, it's very, very serious. So let me finish today by sharing a verse from Philippians chapter 2, 5-10. through 10. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, mindset now, as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to our own advantage. Remember, he's saying, look, in your relationship with one another and with God, He's not saying that, but I absolutely want to make this jump. He says, Do not consider, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And we should take advantage of, of being sons and daughters of God either. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. That really is our first level of expectation. Jesus was made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was rewarded for his simple trust in his Father. He became obedient to death, even death, even mockery, even such a humbling experience. And then God raised him up. I guess the analogy for us that we can finish here with today is just the knowing that, you know, God, we wonder how this this life is going to turn out for us. And you know what? Can I just give you this as a pastor of so many years, this little bit of advice and wisdom? Don't worry. Just trust the Lord. Just rest. Don't, don't try to question God when it comes to the longevity of your life. Don't try to question God when it comes to the, the, the goodness of your life. God, if, if there's a change to be made, he's going to put faith inside your heart to make it. And it's going to be mixed with passion. There's going to be grace all over it. And that grace is God allowing you to fulfill his plan. It's God's work inside you. He's going to give you the confidence. He's going to give you the faith. He's going to give you the open doors. This morning, I was preaching and teaching, and I, and I said this, that faith, that rather, that, um, that favor follows faith. Remember that, favor follows faith. When we trust God, the doors of heaven open up, clearly showing to us in the scripture I just read, Jesus, everything was placed under his feet from that simple act of trust and obedience. Folks, that's our journey. That's our example. And so today, as you come before the Lord, as you consider your life, don't wear yourself out. Don't wear yourself out trying to figure out God or figure out what God has planned for you. Just simply trust. We finish with that prayer of Jesus and how he taught us to pray to the Father. What did he say? Father, who lives in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His will be done in your life and my life forever. Hey, you have a great week. We'll see you next time on Take a Knee. God bless.